views on Palestine and Israel. It's the Will Kane Podcast on Fox News Podcast. What's up? And welcome to Wednesday. As always, I hope you will download, rate, and review this podcast wherever you get your audio entertainment at Apple, Spotify, or at Fox News Podcasts. You can watch the Will Kane Podcast on YouTube or follow me on X at Will Kane. Today, 10 views on the slaughter, the terrorism, the history, the truths, my view on Israel and Palestine. This issue is so eternally complicated. There are disputed facts and disputed history. There is disputed land. This issue has divided not only the Middle East, but has divided the United States of America. It is divided within political parties. It's impossible to make sense of a coherent philosophy, a coherent ideology, a coherent practicality from the left and the far left, the new right and the neocon, and everything feels manipulated, confusing, complex. I come at this today to you with humility. I come at this today to you with only the promise that I will do my best to seek the truth. I cannot pretend like everybody else on social media to be an expert. It is amazing how many experts we are blessed with who are multi-tool players, ready at a moment's notice to jump on the news cycle, whether or not it be trans issues in elementary classrooms or geopolitical problems in the Middle East. Everyone is, and immediately, an expert. At the same time, nothing feels true. Everything feels manipulated. Everyone feels compromised. In some cases, with deep alignment or deep invested interests, or in other cases, as shallow as attention-seeking. It feels like we're swimming in a sea of propaganda. Some coordinated on high, some simply spun from down below. I come at this humbly, promising you that I will seek to find the truth, and that I will seek to learn and understand and evolve as this story progresses. It's the way I want to approach almost every story. But when I arrive on an eternal truth, when I arrive at a viewpoint, I make that promise as well to you that I will share it with you, clear-eyed. Strong opinions, sometimes loosely held, ready to change with the facts and wish the reality of our modern world. But today, therefore, let me share with you what I feel like I've arrived at several days into this story, 10 views on Palestine and Israel. Number one, what we're looking at is a conflict. What we're looking at is a confrontation between pure savagery and civilization. Make no mistake, what we saw happen in Israel over the weekend was pure savagery. I don't use that word as an insult. I use that word as a specific and accurate description. From what we are to understand, women were taken prisoner as trophies. Women were raped in the field, and who knows what's happening in the tunnels underneath Gaza. Babies were reportedly burned. You can see some pictures. The veracity, the truth of which I will say we have to still explore burned in dumpsters. There is a story out there that something like 40 babies were beheaded 
in southern Israel. That story seems to have been confirmed from multiple journalists. I cage everything in a report or it seems because emotions are high. Events are changing by the moment. War is propaganda. And it's irresponsible to simply take everything you hear or see as gospel. But if we think we have something confirmed from multiple sources, perhaps we can take it as true. And if that is true, the beheading of 40 babies, that's just one example that illustrates pure savagery. One of my favorite books was Empire of the Summer Moon. It's about the Comanche Empire that extended from Colorado through Kansas down into Oklahoma, New Mexico, and Texas. You've heard me talk about it. Written by S.C. Gwynn. It's a great book, Empire of the Summer Moon. In that book, Gwynn talks about when the settlers in Texas arrived at the frontier. They encountered a level of violence that they had never even imagined. The Comanches raiding forts and villages and outposts and homesteads would destroy babies, throw them upon a bonfire. They would stake out settlers with their intestines pulled from inside their belly, staked to the ground six feet away so that you would die watching the vultures literally eat out your inside. The level of depravity, of demonic violence that the settlers encountered when they encountered the Comanches, to them was nothing but pure savagery. But Gwen makes it very interesting when he talks about this clash of civilizations. It's not a matter of race. It's not a matter of, even at that point, some type of deep-rooted morality. It's simply a matter of time. It's as though the settlers had got into a time capsule and traveled back into time. Gwen says as well, if those same European, Western, American settlers had taken a time machine into their own history, into some 1,500 years prior to northern Scotland or to England or to Germania, they would have seen similar levels of violence and depravity. Watch any movie that you would like about the Viking Age. There's a movie called Northmen starring Alexander Skarsgård that I really liked. It talked about the berserkers, the Viking soldiers that they think got hopped up on various amphetamine-type drugs that existed back then from natural sources, worked themselves into a frenzy, and just committed horrific acts of violence upon their enemy. Rape at a minimum. But the more violent, the more glory. Gwen says in that book that basically what the 1800s Western settlers encountered were prior versions of themselves when they encountered the Comanches. It's as though they had entered a time machine. What you understand when you understand that clash of civilizations is that you understand that civilizations can evolve at different rates for different reasons. The American Indians were isolated here between a landmass on one end with thousands of miles of the Pacific, on the other end, thousands of miles of the Atlantic. And they hadn't evolved in the way the Europeans had. They didn't have the wheel. And they hadn't evolved into more modern moral versions of war. More on that in just a moment. 
They were essentially locked in time some 1,500 years prior to the evolution of the civilization they encountered in Llano, in Bastrop, in Mason, in Wichita Falls. And with that comes the very simple indictment that what you have encountered, whether through time travel, whether through a different ideology, whether through different values, whether through different civilizations, is pure savagery. You know, there is a movement within the new right that seems to venerate prior versions of humanity. You will see it all across social media. Bronze Age. A lot of talk about the Bronze Age. The Bronze Age being, of course, a evolutional step in humanity where things were much, much more primitive. And there's this belief that through that prism, you actually get closer to a truth about humanity, that we are tribal, that we are violent, that we've dressed it up and gussied it up and let not patriarch, but matriarchal instincts run our vision of humanity. But it's actually the Bronze Age that's the pure truth teller. And when you see something like what Hamas inflicted upon the southern Israelis, you're seeing truth, you're seeing Bronze Age. What I would say to that is maybe, but that is what we evolved beyond. The Bronze Age are the losers of history. They lost to the more advanced and modern civilizations. They lost in the American West. They have lost in the Middle East. They have lost at every step of history. You cannot plant your foot firmly in the past and expect to win the future. Now, you cannot also involve, evolve into some caricatured, perverted lie of the future. You can't walk around pretending that men can be women. You can't walk around in a post-truth, apocalyptic, dystopic vision where America is currently marching towards the cliff. There are eternal truths. And maybe it is very important that we constantly look back into history to remember those truths. But there is nothing to remember about the fact that rape on the battlefield, the killing of babies, the killing of innocents of women and children, of taking of trophies is something of the past. It is, again, whether or not it was in the American West, whether or not it was our ancestors in Northern Europe, or whether or not it was in today or over the weekend in the Middle East, it is nothing but pure savagery, which has met an advanced civilization. Now, why have the southern Israelis met that savagery in the form of Hamas? Is it because they have not evolved civilizationally to more modern sentiments of warfare, more modern sentiments of civilization? Is it that they adhere to an ideology that is a relic of the past, a perverted ideology? And in this way, I don't speak to the broader religion of Islam, but I speak to the perverted vision of Islamism. This is not a controversial statement for any modern civilizational human who believes that women should not have to remain covered, that homosexuals should not be thrown from the top of buildings, that little boys should not be raped by older men, then we can arrive at the conclusion that something has gone horrifically wrong in this perverted wing of Islam called Islamism. 
Islamist ideology is either a relic of time or it is a perverted ideology. Either way, it is savagery and it must meet the sword of civilization. Number two. Israel, as a representative of that civilization, must be empowered to destroy the savagery. Go for it, Israel. Speaking from the perspective of an American citizen, and only capable, really, of speaking of the perspective from an American citizen, I believe the perspective of America should be, we will not stand in your way. And in limited ways, we will help you to destroy this savage ideology. Whether or not that's a sharing of intelligence, whether or not that is limited sales of weaponry that is necessary. On Monday's episode of the Will Cain podcast, we spoke to Robert Greenway of the Heritage Institution. I would encourage you to go back and listen to that episode of the Will Cain podcast. He talks about there ways in which the United States might find involvement in empowering Israel. Certainly, President Biden spoke yesterday giving verbal and emotional support to Israel. And good for Joe Biden. We should stand in support of Israel. Israel, like any tribe, should be able to defend its tribe. And whatever happens next, I don't think we will be able to stand here today and pass judgment on Israel. Number three, in the end, the world breaks down into my tribe versus your tribe. I know it's simplistic and maybe it's hard to hear. We want to believe in higher moral truths. We want to believe in principle. But ultimately, when you break through all the complexity, what it all comes back down to is my tribe versus your tribe. There will be bad things done if Israel is greenlit, if Israel goes for it. There will be, and already have been, civilians who will die in Gaza. And that is awful. And that is to be lamented. There are videos right now of Palestinian fathers carrying the dead body of Palestinian daughters, innocents in this war. And there will be much more. There will be much more that will be awful. There will be civilians that will die. It will be horrific. But that will be on Hamas. That will not be on Israel. It is well known that Hamas uses civilians as human shields, not just the hostages taken from raves in southern Israel, but their own citizens as human shields. You can look this up. Hamas's headquarters is buried inside of the one hospital in Gaza. They do that in part because they think, therefore, Israel will not strike that hospital. But if, in fact, Israel does strike that hospital, they can parade the bodies of dead children and dead civilians for the world to see, and then, therefore, for the world to condemn Israel. Those deaths are not on Israel. Those deaths are on Hamas. Here is the difference between my tribe and your tribe. If you took all of the weapons out of Israel— and gave them to their neighbors, Jordan, Syria, Iran, Iraq, Gaza, the West Bank. If you, de- if you disarmed Israel, what would happen? Of course, Israel would cease to exist. Israel would be destroyed. If, on the other hand, you took all the arms from Gaza and the West Bank, or all of Israel's neighbors, 
what would happen? Nothing. Nothing would happen. No international borders would change. Israel would not go in search of conquest. Israel would not go in search of destruction of those neighbors, of Arabs. The point I'm getting here is, although that the world is ultimately, when you break through my tribe versus your tribe, there is ways of doing this that adhere to modern sentiments of civilization. More on that in just a minute. Here, let me talk about this my tribe versus your tribe thing for a minute. Everyone wants to believe somehow there's something else going on besides my tribe versus your tribe. And by the way, when we define tribes, what I think America has come so very close to achieving is the ability to define tribes beyond historical precedent. Historically, tribes have been defined by the color of your skin, by the adherence of your religion, by your geographic location. Tribes have been, by their very nature, racist. They have been xenophobic. Tribes have been religious fundamentalist. Tribes, by the way, are the basic human survival tool of civilization. We need each other. We're not individuals. We have to live amongst others with common interests in order to protect ourselves from threat. Those threats can be represented by other tribes. They could be represented by the elements, heat, cold, weather. They could be represented by, by animals. How are we going to protect from the bear? How are we going to protect from the shark? We come together in communities also known as tribes. But America represented a great leap forward in the tribe. America represented the tribe around the idea. Don't make no mistake. We definitely have an identifiable culture. And again, more on that in just a moment. But America represented the idea that anybody could be part of this tribe, regardless of race, regardless of creed, regardless of religion, regardless of geographic origination. Anyone provided they receive an appropriate invitation, legal immigration, and reflect the appropriate desire, can become a citizen of the tribe of America. That was what is unique about the American tribe. But no particular tribe has any particular rightful claim to any moral high ground. What I mean by that is we live in this world where instead what people want to divide the world into is oppressor and oppressed. And so when they do so, they can go around flaunting terms like stolen land. You know, is Israel on stolen land from Palestine? Is America on stolen land from the Native Americans? Is Australia on stolen land from the Aborigines? But the, it's a, such a remedial and simplistic view of the world where it's defeated by a simple question. Stolen from who? And who did... And when did those people arrive at this land? Nobody, nobody is an original. There's a great scene in the movie, Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee, where Sitting Bull of the Sioux tribe is sitting down against an American general. And he is telling the American general that the American military needs to remove itself from the sacred lands of the plains of South Dakota. And he's explaining to the American general, these are our sacred lands. And he says, why are these your lands? And he says the great God of the Lakota designated these lands for hundreds of years to the Sioux. And he said, that's not true. He said, what would you say to the Mormons? The American general says, what would you say to the Mormons who say that their God points them west, that this is the land bequeathed to them under their religion? And Sitting Bull says, I think they should listen to my God. And he said, 
the American general to Sitting Bull. You came out of the Minnesota timberlands, the wilderness, driven out by the Chippewa. You went along killing every tribe in your way, the Kiowa, the Ponca, on and on, tribe after tribe, lusting after their game and their land, ultimately arriving here, having killed all of your enemies and now claim you have some spiritual right to this land? No, you did to the other tribes what we are now doing to you. You defeated those tribes. We have now defeated the Sioux. It's a pretty true and accurate vision of history. Somebody is always the victor, and somebody is always the loser. And this idea of stolen land is the loser's limp of the defeated. You cannot find a moment in history that isn't explained by the conquest of one tribe over another. Now, we will talk about moral high ground, but there is no moral high ground based upon someone's rightful or spiritual claim to land. It is simply explained by my tribe and your tribe. When this conflict is debated in the public sphere, we can go back biblically into time. We can go back to 1947. We can go back to the League of Nations drawing up lines in the desert sands of the Middle East. But ultimately, when it is all said and done, what it will get down to is that one tribe defeated another tribe. It is winner take all. Now, that's not to say that the world is nihilistic. That's not to say that there aren't values, that there aren't principles, that there are not superior civilizations. There is culture, which is a collection of a way of life, a collection of values, and there are superior values, superior cultures, and superior civilizations. And that brings us to number four. There are still bad guys and good guys. Now, this is a little bit more nuanced and requires a little bit, I think, more critical thinking. But there are certain things that we have decided as we've evolved in humanity and adopted the mores of civilization that have pulled us beyond savagery. That even when in my tribe wins and beats your tribe, that even when it is nihilistic and winner takes all, that we can still adhere to a more moral and superior vision of the present and of the future. Here are some examples. Good guys don't target civilians. Good guys don't rape their enemies. Good guys don't take hostages and use them as human shields against their enemy. Bad guys exhibit those behaviors. Will civilians die in Gaza? Yes. Will Israel try to kill civilians in the way that Hamas marched through southern Israel, raping and killing Beheading babies. No, of course. In fact, Israel goes to great lengths to broadcast messages inside of Gaza, clear this building, social media, text messages, bullhorns. I heard it reported that they even use different types of bombs that shake buildings to give a warning. This building is now going to be destroyed. All of that to be said, it will not entirely or perhaps even it's never sufficient, but even effectively Reduce the amount of deaths of the innocent and the civilians. But they will try. We're bad guys. Not only do they not try, they make the innocent the targets of their violence. They will create human shields. They will bury their headquarters inside of hospitals. And because of this, 
you can see those that lean into the Bronze Age savagery versus the winners, the winners that take on the values of an advanced civilization, you can see the world through bad guys and good guys. We'll be right back with more of the Will Cain Podcast. Number five, my tribe is America. I believe, as it's been said, that the American leaders, our politicians, our generals, our elected officials, have a moral duty to see geopolitics in the world, not through right and wrong, not through the motions of their heart, but through the cold, steely reality that it is their moral duty to represent the people that elect them as the leader of America. My tribe is America. It is our nation, our treasure, our tax dollars. It is our sons and our blood that is on the table to be discussed at any given moment to be sent to foreign lands to live or die. And I make no apologies that my primary prism and my primary moral duty and my primary tribe is America. I say that to say Israel is not the United States of America. I have already, through four points, explained to you that I believe Israel is in the right to do whatever it takes to defend its nation-state, to defend Israel. That Israel is on the right side of history. That Israel represents the civilizational advancements. That Israel is the front line against savagery. But it is Israel that sits at that nexus. It is not the United States of America. Perhaps that argument will be made. Perhaps we will understand through the wisdom of our leaders why America— should make this their fight. Why we should station aircraft carriers in the Middle East. We haven't yet deployed special forces that we know of, although there are American hostages in Gaza, which represents an interest for America. Perhaps our leaders will explain to us why this will need to become our fight. But one thing I will not apologize for is that that must be explained. It needed to be explained, and I do not think has been sufficiently when it comes to Ukraine. It needs to be explained in the worst aspect of humanity. I know that modern America would have you believe that the worst aspect of humanity is racism. It's not. The worst aspect of humanity is war. It is violence. And you could only not believe that by having it be removed far away, only seen through a television screen, only represented in movies, never having seen the horrific effects of war. And I'm not going to pretend to you that I've seen that, but I'd like to think that I can see it as the worst of humanity. And if America is going to get involved in that, the worst of humanity, then America needs to explain what is the interest of America first. I do not apologize for saying my tribe is America, for distinguishing between Israel and the United States. I will not accept this argument that somehow, some way that makes someone anti-Semitic. It does not. It means that I live in America, and it is my tribe first. Israel is our ally, and we will be there to support our ally. And if it requires our blood and our treasure, it needs to be explained as our ally why it affects America. Number six, we're going to be awash in lies. We're going to be awash in propaganda. It's been said that the first thing that dies in war is the truth. This has happened in every single war throughout history. Dating back centuries. Trust me, it was present in World War I and World War II. It was present in Vietnam. 
We know more directly, you and I both know, that propaganda has been absolutely all over the war in Ukraine. Oh, yes, Russian propaganda, but also Ukrainian propaganda. We've walked through those facts and that truth. There was no ghost of Kiev, a fighter pilot taken down multiple Russian fighters. There was not an island of Ukrainian resistance, soldiers that fought off a Russian battleship. We are awash in lies, and those lies are designed to curry public sentiment and support. Now, here I want to tell you something. I don't begrudge Ukraine. It's propaganda. I don't. That's their tribe. They are in an existential fight against Russia by their own estimation. And if they feel like they need to manipulate the world at large in order to rally them, to support them for their own existential fight, to continue to exist for survival, who am I to begrudge them? Lies. I'm not going to begrudge them that. And I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's true. I don't know what's not true between the atrocities in Israel. But if Israel embarks on a propaganda campaign designed to manipulate the public's mind to rally support, I do not begrudge Israel. If Palestine does the same, runs a massive propaganda campaign of lies to try to rally the world to their support, I do not begrudge Palestine. This is part of war, and it's part of what people do to ensure their own survival or, at the very least, their own victory. Here's what I do begrudge. I begrudge our own leaders lying to us. I begrudge our own leaders in the United States of America not trying to find and tell us the truth. You are our employees. We hire you with the presumption of wisdom that you are going to lead us into the future, not to manipulate us. Leave that to Zelensky. You are there to tell us the truth, not represent hidden agendas. The American people deserve the truth, and we've been given so little when it comes to COVID, when it comes to everything, including that worst of humanity, war. So when I get mad about the propaganda, it is our domestic propaganda on our own American people. I say this to acknowledge we're going to be awash in it, and I'll do my best, and hopefully we can find together other sources out there that cut through the propaganda to help us find the truth, because I do not trust that our leaders will do so, either through emotional fervor, own allegiances, hidden agendas, weakness, a lack of wisdom, a lack of intellect, or a lack of understanding of their job. I do not un. I do not expect that. We have a right to expect it. But the realist in me says, I do not expect that from America's leaders. So we have to fight together hard to cut through the propaganda to get to the truth. We're going to step aside here for a moment. Stay tuned. Number seven. There are very legitimate questions about how this happened. We talked about this in the last episode of the Will Came podcast with Robert Greenway of the Heritage Institute. How is it the most sophisticated surveilled border, the most militarized border in the world, where former IDF soldiers have said a bird or a cockroach landed too close to that wall and we were woken up at our television screen alerted of activity? How is it that security apparatus missed hundreds of of savage Hamas terrorists pouring through that border on motorcycles, on foot, and paragliders to go slaughter a thousand 
Israeli innocence. How did that happen? I have no idea if it's true. There are reports out there that Egyptian intel warned Israel that something like this could happen. I have no idea if that's true. That could be disinformation. That could be propaganda serving I don't know whose interest. But all I do know is this. It is highly suspect that you have to question the level of failure for something like this to happen. There's a lot of rabbit holes that we could dig and places we could go that we could squint our eyes and look nefariously why someone would allow such a travesty to happen. People point back to Pearl Harbor or suspicions that we knew something would happen with 9-11. I don't know. Motives always – the problem with these conspiracies is the motive is not the motive but the competency. If people aren't that smart. People don't pull off these types of things well. But I still think these are very, very – not just legitimate, but immediate and important questions about how you could have seen such a quote-unquote failure of intelligence along that border in Gaza. Number eight, let's be real about Iran. I think that I have probably shared with my audience over time that I have instincts that lean towards America first that distance me from the traditional neoconservative hawkish war position of the Republican Party. But I am, I hope, open-minded and practical and not close-minded and ideological about that instinct. The neocons are not wrong about the role of Iran in geopolitics. Iran is behind this attack in Hamas. They arm Hamas. They greenlight Hamas. They help strategic plans with Hamas, just like they do with Hezbollah, just like they do in Syria. Just like they do with their frontline forces, the Quds forces out there looking to sow dissension and violence and chaos all across the Middle East. And Iran cheers, not just death to Israel, but Iran cheers death to America. About this, the neocons are not wrong. What is the end result of that realization? I do not know. Again, you can hearken back to that podcast on Monday's edition of the Will Cain podcast. But I do not know. Does that mean we need to worry about energy markets? Does that mean we need to go threatening Iran? Does that mean we need to go bombing fixed facilities like refineries in, in Iran? Does that mean that it's inevitable that this, this incident sets us down on a collision course, a set of dominoes that leads us towards World War III? I do not know. But I do know that before we try to preemptively win World War III or preemptively nip in the bud World War III by limited engagement with Iran, we might need to ask these questions in a very, very public and concerted manner. How does it serve America? What are the implications? You're not wrong, I think, neocon, about Iran. But so what? What do you want to do about it? That I have very legitimate reasons to be skeptical about your historical accuracy, whether or not it's Iraq Afghanistan, Afghanistan in the 80s, Vietnam, Korea, about your ability to move the geopolitical chess pieces around the world to ensure that you have ultimately served America. But I'm not ideological about it. I'm practical about it. So I'll have that conversation with you, Neocon, as I do understand that lurking behind this entire scene is Iran. Number nine. 
The left in America is largely gone. I don't believe that I am an instinctual partisan. I don't believe – you don't hear me often use the terms Republican and Democrat. I don't even honestly like using much of the term left and right. I don't think it applies to most of the way we should see the modern reality of American politics. But I do recognize there is such thing as a left in America. And if nothing else, I don't know that it's represented by, but it might be illustrated in part by the squad. Rashida Tlaib, congresswoman from – Congresswoman, a member of the squad, has outside of her office in Washington, D.C. right now a flag, a Palestinian flag outside of her office door, showing not just immorality, but making it a companion to absolute stupidity. She also has an LGBTQ flag standing right next to that Palestinian flag. I don't know if she has any concept. These two cannot coexist. Okay. I've seen signs at places in New York City like Sesame says like queers for Palestine. Do you understand? Do you, do you understand? Thrown from the top of a building. Mia Khalifa, a porn star, celebrated Hamas. Do you understand, Mia? She's been fired from Playboy and every other porn site basically at this point. Do you understand that you can take a one-way flight? To Palestine, but I can promise you it will be one way. The left is gone in America. This has been illustrated not just in the halls of Congress, but on the streets of America. Washington State, Dallas, Texas, Florida, Chicago, Washington, D.C., New York City, from Sunday and Monday onwards, not protest, celebrations in the street, Palestinian flags, cheering, bullhorns, speeches celebrating what happened in Israel. Let us be clear. Nothing happened over the weekend but for the mass terrorist slaughter of innocents. There was no political debate. There was no geopolitical war. There was nothing. There was just mass slaughter of innocents. And that provoked sympathies in Australia, in London, in France, in all of those cities and more. Here in the United States of America, what are you celebrating? What are you celebrating? Why are you on the streets? This Palestine resistance movement, free Palestine. No, if that's your fight, free Palestine. If that's where your attention lies, do you think you have an ounce of couth that you could say, maybe we will protest next week, not the day after a mass slaughter of innocents? There are people talking about decolonization. Now, this is a bit of a social media phenomenon, and I only give it so much credence, but it's not something to be overlooked. Why? Because right now across American college campuses, this is taking place. People talking about, what did you think decolonization meant? Did you think it would mean a debate, an adjustment of a few textbooks? Meaning it is what just took place in Israel. In other words, they're owning that decolonization means ethnic cleansing. We've already talked about the stupidity of decolonization, colonization, the stupidity of stolen land. You are not the natural inheritor of a place. You are either a victor or the defeated. That's the truth of history. You want to decolonize? We now understand that you mean you want an ethnic cleansing. Superior cultures don't embark on ethnic cleansing. 
And the most superior cultures don't do it in victory. That's why we know not all cultures are equal. Not all cultures are equal. That is not a controversial statement. They produce various degrees of literacy, various health outcomes, various lifespans, various values and social mores towards women, towards pedophilia. Not all cultures are equal. There are a collection of values and lifestyle choices. You want to decolonize by embarking on an ethnic cleansing? Thank you for speaking out loud your true nature, your true vision. College campuses all across America, including Harvard, 31 student organizations embraced Palestine. Again, in the wake of a mass slaughter. It's not as though it was in the wake of a slaughter of Palestinian citizens. It was in the wake of a terroristic slaughter of Israelis. And they put out statements in support of Palestine. And the way I read it, they put out statements in support of terror, in support of killing babies, in support of beheading babies. And then they are honest and say, what did you think we meant by decolonization? Number 10, we are at risk in the United States of America. You cannot see that on the streets of America. You cannot hear that from college campuses and not understand we are at threat in America. You know by now, I hope, we have a wide open and porous southern border of the United States where anyone and everyone can come in. Would you like to know who has come in? Here is a tweet by Fox News' Bill Malugin. New, internal CBP data, Customs and Border Patrol data, provided and confirmed, reveals thousands of special interest aliens. That's a direct quote. That's a specific term. From mostly Middle Eastern countries have been apprehended by Border Patrol while crossing the, into the U.S. illegally over the last two years. Want to know how many of these special interest aliens came through and from where? Here's the information. 538 special interest aliens from Syria. 139 from Yemen. 659 from Iran. 123 from Iraq. 6,386 from Afghanistan, 164 from Lebanon, home of Hezbollah, 3,153 from Egypt, 1,613 from Pakistan, home to Al-Qaeda, 15,594 from Mauritania, 13,624 from Uzbekistan, and 30,830 from Turkey. That's from October 1st, 2021 to October 4th, 2023. I have more. These are only the apprehensions between ports of entry. It does not include those encountered at ports of entry. So this is in the desert. This is in the river. Border Patrol sources tell me they have extreme concerns about who is coming into this country because they have little to no way of vetting people from these special interest countries. I'm told they have committed a crime previously in the U.S. or they are in some sort of federal watch list. There's no way to know who they are because most of their home countries don't share data with the U.S. So there is nothing to match a name to when BP agents run fingerprints. Now, a special interest alien is a term used by the U.S. government to refer to people coming from countries that have conditions that favor or harbor terrorism or pose a potential national security threat to the United States. We are at risk. You just watched horrific terror where the death toll is now over a 1,000 on one of the most secured and militarized borders in the world. Here you have a much bigger, broader, and less secure border. And those are the numbers 
of people coming through that border from special interest nations who have a history of antagonism or terrorism to the United States. And then you hear what's happening on American college campuses. And then you see the protests on the streets of Washington, New York, Dallas, D.C., Florida. And I'll leave you with this. New York City has put out a warning to its citizens No specific credible threat, but take more precaution, especially around Jewish communities. This is the effect on America. That's my 10 views at this point on the story. Again, I share those with you somewhat humbly. I will continue to learn. We'll continue to inform ourselves of the facts as we walk through what promises to be, I think, one of the most monumental and scariest moments, at least in recent history. So there you go. Give me your feedback. Tell me where you agree. Tell me where you disagree. Will Kane Podcast at Fox.com. That's going to do it for me today. Thank you. I'll see you next time on the Will Kane Podcast. Mm-hmm.